Um, but we're in a six-week series. We're in week number two here. We're calling this series Spotlight, and it's a focused look at some of Hope's belief. We're looking at some of the kind of key beliefs, and lots of churches believe a lot of things in common, and those are wonderful. We're looking a little bit maybe less at those things and more at some of the key beliefs that people ask questions about. And in that light, just a teaser about next week's spotlight. Next week, we're spotlighting the question, well, what about women in church leadership? And I've had actually people ask me things like, Doug, are you ignoring scripture when you have women teach or lead or pastor or elder serve? You know, are you ignoring the Bible when you do that? And the answer is no, by the way. We're not ignoring scripture at all. We believe scripture supports that. And the message next week will get into what that's about. So there you go. Come on back next week for that. But what I want to spotlight today is simply um, the Bible. But more specifically than just looking at the Bible, I want to look at how for followers of Jesus, the Bible shines light on how it is that we are to live and love in our broken world. Uh, And here at Hope, uh, specifically, uh, here at Hope, we trust Scripture to determine what it is that we teach and believe and aspire to live out as followers of Jesus. So we're going to talk about the Bible today and, and, you know... Maybe you can imagine, or it's not hard for you to imagine, that for me, uh, it's very hard to do a 35, 40-minute sermon just, you know, on the Bible and to limit it to that in one talk, Um, because I'm a Bible nerd, man. Like, I love the Bible. Um, I've wrestled with the Bible, studied the Bible, doubted the Bible, wondered. I've learned things and unlearned some things. I have deconstructed things that I was taught and reconstructed the Bible. I've done that for most of my life, and I'm still constantly on a journey because I love the scriptures. See, see, God has used the Bible in my life personally and the teachings in the Bible to, to change me, sometimes to challenge me, oftentimes to comfort me. So there's so much to say, and we got one talk, one message, one shot on this, and so I'm going to do my best to try to stay within the zone of um, how it is that the Bible is our guide here at Hope, uh, and I'm going to go through some history to get us there. Um, which means I can't cover a lot of other really good stuff, really good questions that people have. Um, uh, There are so many other places to look to that. And if you have questions about the Bible, please email me. I'd be happy to, I don't know all the answers, but I'd be happy to point you in some directions to help you study some of this as well. So again, what I want to spotlight this week is the importance of Scripture as the standard for how it is that we live as followers of Jesus, specifically and especially here at Hope Covenant Church. Now, um, who, who here remembers um, the first host of The Tonight Show? Anyone remember? So, first host. Was it Johnny Carson? I'm just, this coming, this time I had this, wasn't in my notes, right? Johnny Carson, right? Who followed, anybody know who followed Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show? Who? Jay Leno, there we go. We got some people, you guys, some of you are like, who's Jay Leno? That means you're young. Um, that's okay, that's cool, that's good. But one of the great bits, one of my favorite bits that Jay Leno would do, he would do these man-on-the-street interviews, and he'd go out on the street, and he'd just throw out questions, and people would answer, and of course, the best ones that made the cut were the dumb answers, right? Um, I was going to try to show us a video of this clip here, but the, it was so blurry. That's how old this thing. It was so blurry, so low resolution uh, that we just couldn't even do it. So instead, you get me trying to uh, read the questions, which is less funny than Jay, but will you laugh anyway, please? 
Okay, good. Okay, good. All right, so here we go. Once, once he asked these two college-age women, this little man on the street thing, he asked these two women, can you name one of the Ten Commandments? And the one lady replied, freedom of speech, right? <laughs> Nicely done. Um, then he looked to the other and said, okay, uh, complete this sentence from the Bible. Um, let he who is without sin, she said, have a good time? <laughs> Close, yeah, not quite. Uh, and, then, and then there was a young man who was watching this, very confident young man, like all young men tend to be, right? He, he looks at the young man and says, um, okay, okay, who, according to the Bible, was swallowed by a whale? And the confident answer he gave was, Pinocchio, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I don't think that the point of the Bible and knowing the Bible is so we can get all the correct answers on a trivia game. It's not that at all. In fact, if you're not a follower of Jesus, it's okay, right? There's no expectation on you. But if you are a follower of Jesus, uh, then, then the Bible is indispensable because the Bible shines the light, shows the way of how it is that we are to live and love in our broken world. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 105. Let's read this out loud together. It says this, Your word, God, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. See, when we get lost in the dark, when we wander off the path, God, your word shines the light, puts me back on the path. It's so valuable. A familiar scripture that many of us who've been around church have heard time and time again is out of 2 Timothy. It's chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says this about scripture. tells us all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to help us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what's right. God uses it, scripture, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So he's saying here, right, uh, Paul, Paul, the apostle Paul wrote this. He's saying all scripture is inspired by God. And when he says all scripture, back then, what was the scripture was the Old Testament was what we call it, right? They didn't have the, the New Testament assembled. So he's actually talking about the Old Testament, which is just one reason to go, hey, in order to understand the New Testament, we do need the Old Testament, so we want to understand it. Of course, we read it through the lens now of the work of Christ. But, but all Scripture matters. It's all profitable. Uh, it's there, he says, to teach us what it's true. So it's there to show us what the path is, to make us realize what's Wrong, show us where we've gotten off the path. It corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what's right, so it shows us how to get back on the path, and God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work, so it shows us how then to live on the path, shows us the path, shows us where we've gotten off the path, shows us how to get back on the path, and shows us how then to live on the path, and the path is the way of following Jesus. And apparently, it's easy for us humans to get off track. But thankfully, when we do, one of the primary ways God uses to call us back to Jesus, to call us back to living as the people of God, is through Scripture, through the Bible. Because as you know, (laughs) um, it's easy to get off path, especially in our day and age, in our culture. There are competing voices. There's this world that is constantly shouting at us, demanding our allegiance, demanding our attention, demanding that we choose a tribe, that we pick a side, that we align with that side, and we align with all that side, right or wrong, we're in, that's our tribe, there we go. 
And we're tempted to get off path when we fall into that kind of kingdom of this world mentality. It's very common, though, and happens to all of us. Sometimes the loud voice that calls us away from the path is our own flesh. It's our own brokenness, just shouting loudly, pulling us off the path, away from the life that God offers us because there's stuff in us that's wounded, hungry, thirsty, needs to be healed, and it looks like life is that way, not the way God is calling me. So we get pulled away. And however it is that we get pulled away from the path of life that God offers, Pretty soon what happens when we get off that path, we find ourselves swept into a current of a river that we just start to go with the flow. We wandered from the path and it's way over there and the life that God offers and that path is somewhere different because now it's just easier to go with the flow because it's where our culture's going. It's where maybe our brokenness wants to go. It just seems like the right thing to do and we find ourselves going that way. But the Bible then, <laughs> the Bible is intended to be one of the things that shows us the path back to walking as Jesus calls us to walk. Now, reading the Bible in context is so, so, so important. And so I gave you those two verses from 2 Timothy, and I want to read those again. But what I want to do is I want to enlarge the passage and look at the context of these verses surrounding it to help us get an even deeper picture of what he was saying then and what God might be saying to us, because I think it's important. Um, the context here is that the, the letter, 2 Timothy, was written by the Apostle Paul, and it was written as a letter to a pastor named anyone? Timothy, nicely done. You guys could be on the Jay Leno show. You got it right there. Nicely done. Well done. Timothy, who was a younger pastor, he was mentoring. Now, Paul, at this point in his life, he's in a Roman prison. And he knew he was going to die, and he actually was, soon after writing this letter, he was executed. He was actually beheaded by the emperor Nero. Paul knew it was coming, and so he desperately has some things that he wants to pass on to his mentee, to Timothy, some advice to, to have this young pastor who he loved and cared about, have him hold on to it. And in fact, what was interesting is uh, one of my mentors, Dave Johnson and I, we talked about this passage this week, and in some ways there was such a connection, because while Dave's not about to be executed as far as I know, um, Dave does have a, a terminal lung illness that it could be a year, it could be 10, we don't know um, but I sometimes feel this urgency in Dave, like the time is growing short, and I hear him tune in to words like this to pass on and highlight to me. And so this took on new life for me this week, because I could kind of picture, you know, like, like the Apostle Paul sitting in this dank, dark prison cell, maybe chained to the desk. He's got parchment to write on. He's got some kind of writing instrument. Who knows if he has a candle? It probably doesn't smell good because it's prison. <laughs> And he writes, Timothy, I know, I know things are hard. I know it looks bad. And yes, I'm being persecuted. But, verse 12 of 2 Timothy 3, but everyone, he says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. Does that, by the way, sound familiar at all toward our world today? Maybe? <laughs> Verse 14, but you must remain faithful to the things that you've been taught. You know they're true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. By the way, we know he was taught, Timothy, by his mother and his grandmother. Very important to remember here. 
And they, the scriptures, have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Like the scriptures, the Old Testament, again, is what he'd have been referring to at that point. They actually contributed to the wisdom that enabled him to receive salvation in Christ. Verse 16, what we have already read, our key verse, all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what's true and make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what's right, and God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. See, this is the context of that passage. And then Paul continues, next verse, I solemnly urge you, preach the word of God. Be prepared. Whether the time is favorable or not, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. And pause for a second. I just have to admit to you guys, that's harder than it sounds, right? Preach the word of God no matter what. No, 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 no. People don't want to hear it sometimes. They don't want to hear that thing addressed. They're just going to be mad. But he's saying, now do that no matter what. Um, He says, patiently, which is a tip off to me. Okay, when I do that, Doug, patiently, right? Patiently do what? Correct, rebuke. And people love that, right? People love to be corrected. People love to be rebuked, right? Yeah, Yeah, not so much. Um, Just go to another church is what happens often. Um, And important here, encourage, encourage, right? So don't beat the sheep, right? It's not about always correcting and rebuking, which some churches, that's what you get all the time is just this, no, 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 encourage. He's reminding him, encourage uh, your people, wait a minute, God, this is not my people. These are your people. <laughs> um, no, he says, encourage your people with good teaching is where the people then chime in and go, yeah, dude, how about some good teaching for once, right? Okay, so um, some of you are thinking that with me, and that's okay. That's true. No, really, you were supposed to laugh there. I'm now, I'm insecure, yeah. All right, keep reading. Verse three, for a time is coming, I'm hedging this, time is coming when people... Again, I know this is a stretch. People will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. (laughs) They will follow their own desires. They'll look for teachers that who tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Phew, ouch, isn't that kind of still true? Pretty common, actually, for any of us. Because I can go and find that, that... person to preach or teach. I can go find that talk show host or the blogger or the social media account or the politician who's going to tell me what I would rather hear, right? I mean, you want to be angry? If I want to be angry, I can find a teacher that's going to itch my ears. Oh, that's fine. Be angry. It's all good, right? You want to excuse the unforgiveness that you're clinging to? Oh, no problem. You can find that teacher. Somebody will be there for you to be okay with that. You You want to excuse any and every kind of sexual behavior like like, hey, you know what? It's all good. Everything goes. Hey, no problem. You can, you can even find someone calling themselves a Christian who will tickle your ears. Or let's say you're a good performer and you want to be kind of arrogant and judgmental towards people that screw up and blow it and mess up. You want to be legalistic? No problem. We can find you a teacher that'll scratch that itch. They're all over the place. Verse 4 says about people, they will reject the truth and chase after myths, which Dave pointed out. That sounds like conspiracy theories, no problem. See that all over the place, even in churches. And in the face of all that, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, verse 5, but you... 
Keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Imagine again him writing those words chained to a desk, about to be beheaded by Nero. (laughs) Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news. Faithfully carry out the ministry that God has given you. So Timothy, says Paul, when, when it's bad, preach the word. When people seem lost or confused or distracted, go to the scriptures and point them back to following Jesus. Bring the good news of Jesus to everyone. Like, like shine the love of Jesus. Even if all your fellow believers have gotten caught up in the systems and the thinking and the darkness of this world, okay, well then you can challenge and confront, rebuke, whatever, encourage. But now you go, you go and bring the good news, the gospel of Jesus to everyone around you. You shine that light. And again, circle back to our key verse in this passage. Now it takes on some different depth for me, at least. Verse 16 of 2 Timothy 3, all scripture, it's inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects the wrong, teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. See, God intended for Scripture, for the Bible to illuminate the darkness, especially when our world gets crazy and especially when the people of God get confused. Scripture is the thing that invites us to return to and to walk in the way of Jesus. And soon after Paul wrote this, he was. He was beheaded. And persecution continued to spread. It became very dangerous to be a Christian in the Roman Empire. But get this, that didn't stop it. The church actually grew anyway. You couldn't stop it no matter what they threatened Christians with. Because of the way Christians shined a light and lived and loved the teachings of Jesus, it made a huge difference and exploded. And you know how it slowed down? A guy named Constantine, Roman emperor, came to power, said he was converted. Historians doubt that. Um, And he decided, well, if you can't beat him, join him. And Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And there was good news about this, right? Because, hey, no more being killed for just being a Christian. That was the good news. The bad news is... In gaining this political power, like, finally we're in power, finally we can boss other people around and tell them what to do. But in gaining that political power, much of the church got lost. In fact, the explosive growth really slowed down in that region of the world. Because along with power often comes corruption. Um, But even back then, there was a remnant of people who studied the words of Scripture, the teachings of Jesus, refused to dive in with the government, with the powers that be, and instead followed Jesus. And that's where the gospel began to thrive because they followed Scripture, they followed the way and the teachings of Jesus. And it didn't just happen way back then in the 400s. Like, you just read through church history, and you watch the people of God, the church, getting lost over and over and over again, usually corrupted by money, sex, or power. Usually power was a big part of it. 
um, time of the Reformation comes about in the 1500s. Basically, in the West, at least, we have what we now call the Catholic Church, but it was just the church. Um, but the church had gotten lost, um, very corrupt. And there were reformers that came along. And because of their desire for and, and reading Scripture and seeing where Scripture lit up things that were not happening uh, and were not being aligned with in the church, they were just trying to change the church from within because they were the priests of the church and they end up getting kicked out of the church. And so you have now Catholics and Protestants um, and that movement came about because the Bible was shining a light and people noticed the power of God and the power of God, once it got rolling, could not be stopped, even in the face of persecution or executions because people that walked away from that were then being killed for their faith and for walking away from the established church which had become uh, in many ways corrupt. There was always a faithful remnant, by the way, in both the Catholic Church and now the Protestant Church. There's always a remnant. There's always good. And God is still at work. But this cycle then, you would think, okay, the Protestants finally like, pulled themselves over here. They're going to get this thing right, right? Nope. <laughs> Somehow, driven by money and sex and power, these Protestant churches, yeah, I got... I got abused and persecuted over here, but these kings, this nation's actually going to put us in power. Great, we're going to climb into bed with them. And so suddenly even the reformers start going to war, not just with the Catholics, although we still have some of that going on, but suddenly you've got Christian versus Christian over issues, by the way, war and killing each other because they disagree on things like baptism or communion, or doctrinal issues because they want their way, their brand, their thing, their power. And so here we are in Europe, and, and most of Europe, state and government churches were established, state churches. And Christianity became the official religion of Major League Baseball. <laughs> Wouldn't that be wonderful? Actually, no, it would not be. Um, fast forward to the 1500s, because this has something to do with our story as a church. Um, in the 1500s, when that Catholic-Protestant split happened, the Swedish state church became a brand of the Lutheran church. Again, sounds good. It's endorsed, supported by the government. But there's some downsides because suddenly when you were born as a Swede, you were also born as a Christian. You didn't really have to make a choice of it. You're now a Christian. It's just not how it works. Um, and you just get baptized because it's what you do, not because you or your family are dedicating you to a life of following God. Um, um, there was automatic, your, your, your tithes, your giving was combined with your taxes, which, you know, pastors, we'd be like, sweet, wouldn't that be a way to go? Um, so, yeah, no, actually not, because, yeah, your church budget was good, but, but no one learned generosity. No one learned about giving as an act of Worship. In fact, there was so much funding that being a pastor, being in the clergy, was such a lucrative job that you actually had pastors that were given jobs as clergy as a favor, maybe a political favor, because it was kind of a lucrative job to have, and they weren't even believers. Can you imagine that? Not even believers. You had, you had kings and rulers determining what the official theological position is, which is not a good thing when there's no training in it um, because they're just deciding whatever's expedient. And those that dissented were often, in the name of wrong doctrine, um, had their lands taken away, their power taken away, their money. Sometimes they were arrested, tortured, even killed for not lining up with this official position that the 
king had decreed. And how Christian is that? It's not. Yeah, so, um, but again, the power of God's word, even in a story like that in the 1800s, God began to use, again, his word, scripture, to call people back and ignite the hearts of, of some of the people. See, in Sweden, literacy was, among, was on the rise, amongst the working class especially, and the Bible started to get a little easier to be something people get a, could get a hold of. So these people were learning how to read, and, and they were reading the Bible. These Swedes, they were actually nicknamed, these kind of four, forefathers of our um, tribe here, they, they were nicknamed readers, readers, right? And they were hungry for scriptures. And what they would do is um, they would start these small groups outside the church, which was illegal at first. Uh, they called them conventicles. And what they would do is they'd come together and they'd read the Bible together. This became a revival outside of the state church. And most of these folks, again, they were blue collar, uh, they were farmers, lots of them were factory workers. And so, you know, they, they loved reading their Bible. They'd take it with them wherever they could. Anytime they had a break or a moment, they'd be reading their Bibles. But, you know, their, their hands were often really dirty from the work they were doing. And so imagine this, they'd pull out their Bible and read it. People would see them reading their Bible, and it was just filthy. Like, there was grime and dirt because, you know, you didn't wash your hands before everything. And so their Bibles were, were actually kind of beat up, um, and I love this line, uh, these people uh, are, which again, this is part of our covenant heritage, these people were nicknamed, ready, the people of the dirty book, so that's true, it means something quite different than, you know, we would mean today, right, but a people of the dirty book, um, so we thought about putting that on the sign outside, but nah, was, we're not going to do that, um, but, but they loved the scriptures, because the Bible inspired them, called them back to following Jesus, to having a relationship that was authentic with God. And it wasn't just the rural people. There were pastors. There were people in the state church who did love God. One pastor, um, uh, Paul Peter Waldenstrom, he, he, he's kind of famous in this movement because he was challenging how the state church was operating. And, and he was having a conversation with some other pastors at one point. And, and because scripture had become so important to him, uh, somebody was having this conversation, and they were all there, and, and one of the pastors was saying, oh, it's, it's so wonderful that, that um, the wrath of God the Father was poured out on Jesus so that we could be forgiven, which is a part of the Augsburg Confession, which they all knew, but one of them dared to ask, well, where is that written? Where is it written? It's a key question. Where is it written? Where, where is that found in the Bible? And they all were pretty sure, well, of course, it's got to be in there somewhere, right? But none of them could come up with chapter and verse of where that came from. And by the way, there's a lot of people today that still embrace this view of, it's called penal substitutionary atonement. atonement. And the part that he was taking issue was the punishment, the penal side, like that this is, that this is a thing that is about the wrath of the Father... No, there's still substitutionary atonement. Jesus did atone for our sins in our place. That's the substitution. But this thing about the angry, wrathful Father God, uh, Waldenstrom went and studied this for two years. For two years, that was his focus on this question. Where is it written? And he came away saying, it ain't in there. In fact, the Father that is painted for us in Scripture, he's a good Father. He loves us. He's always been wooing us. He's not angry with us. He's not punishing Jesus in order to be okay with us. He's not that kind of Father. 
And when he published his view, it was a firestorm. It was a firestorm. But the people that surrounded him and started asking questions, okay, so everything we believe, where is that found in Scripture? Um, Sadly, they actually got kicked out. They got kicked out of the state church, um, formed a group that was first called the Mission Friends, and eventually that group became what is now known as the Evangelical Covenant Church, and that's us. That's us. And by the way, I'm really new to this tribe, just less than five years, but, but I'm so intrigued by those kinds of stories because what that means is that we as a people, as a church, we have been called back to the scripture. It's in our DNA um, to ask the Bible to illuminate everything that we believe. Shine a light, help us follow Jesus, make sure that what we believe actually aligns with Scripture and that it has to go above every other thing, every other thing. This is our DNA. We, as a movement, we treasure the Bible. We, as a church, treasure the Bible. Now, the denomination says it this way. It says, we affirm the centrality of the Word of God. And our denomination states, here's our view of Scripture. It's the first one they list. The Holy Scripture, the Old and the New Testament, is the Word of God. It is the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct. Now, let me define a couple words. Where it says the perfect rule, it's not saying that it is perfect as in there's no errors, there's no... And and some people want to argue about that. Nah, that's not what we're saying. We're saying perfect means it's complete. The word that they would use now would be complete. It is the complete. Everything we need to know about following Jesus... It's complete. It's in the scripture. There's enough there. It's complete. It's in the Bible. It's that kind of deal. And, and the word rule, again, to define that again in more modern day terms, rule is not like, hey, here's the law, the checklist, the boxes you got to check, and it's all about legalism. No, no, no. The rule is the word for standard, right? The standard by which everything is measured. So it's the rule in that way. You want to decide whether this thing's right or wrong or godly or not, or kingdom of God or kingdom of this world. Great. Let's use the scripture to measure. And it's by that that we decide where we land on stuff. So here's how that works here at Hope Covenant Church. When it comes to matters of, of doctrine or practice or theology, our question is the same. Where is it written? Where is it written? What does the Bible say about that? We don't go to political parties. We don't go to popular opinions. We don't go look into social media and trends of the day. We go, whew, that's a lot to think about. Let's go back and see what scripture and how scripture informs that. See, I love how Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 describes the power of scripture. Let's read this out loud together. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It sounds precise, doesn't it? Like between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. Wow, doesn't that sound like really precise? Um. It reminded me of the recent knee replacement surgery I had. I thought, whew, I'm sure glad that it's 2022 um, where we've got high-tech precision to do these kinds of things, right? Wouldn't you? I mean, uh, yeah, I'm really glad for that. Um, And then uh, two days before the surgery, I decided, you know, 
it's pretty precise. I'd like to see, you know, the high-techness of this deal. I, and I decided I'm going to watch a video of, of, of the surgery that they're about to do on my knee. And it looked interesting. It looked semi-precise, but it wasn't kind of as high-tech lasery as I thought, especially when they get the piece in there that they're replacing and the cementing it in, and then they take out a hammer and they start pounding on the knee to get the part in there, right? That doesn't seem very precise to me. So, so yeah, um, maybe that's why it still hurts all the time. But, but that may not be as precise, but the word of God is precise. It's alive, powerful, sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, exposing our innermost thoughts and desires. It's precise. Now, as I was writing this, I stopped and thought, okay, what I don't want people, and this may take us kind of down a side road, but I'm going to say it anyway, because it's second service. Um, I don't want someone to hear me say, listen, everything in the Bible is crystal clear. It's that precise. No, it's true. Not everything is crystal clear. It doesn't take long to see two Christians reading the same Bible with two different opinions on how something needs to be interpreted. And so I just quickly want to say two things about the places that are not crystal clear. Number one. The stuff that isn't clear in the Bible, it's why we need to study and interpret the Bible. Sometimes you'll hear people say things like, oh, the, the Bible said it, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, which is cool, it's a good cliche, but it leaves out an important part. The Bible said it, I have to interpret it before I decide what I'm believing, and I guess it's settled as long as it's clear, because what if I keep it, right? So there's some things... Like, it's interpretation, which is why we study, and sometimes we come to different conclusions. And when we come to different conclusions, here's the deal. We have to learn to honor people with their different interpretations and trust. Like, everybody's doing their best. Everybody's doing their best. So, um, there's a great quote um, from hundreds of years ago. I won't even try to say Rupertus's Mel. I tried it right there. I can't even say his name. But here's how he said it, and this has been widely held. Here's how we work when it comes to these things that aren't clear, in essentials, in the things that are essential, in essentials, unity. In the things that are non-essentials, liberty, like freedom, okay? Like you think this about the tribulation, I think that, that's ah, not essential, right? But in all things, in all things, charity, like have love and grace for each other, right? You disagree, okay, in all of it, have kindness and love. See, this is part of a, a value we have in the Covenant Church about freedom in Christ. Hey, we're not going to make you check off every little box and every little piece of doctrine. We have a few things that we think are very essential. We stick to those. That's our way forward. The rest of it, we try to love each other and honor each other and, and, and just have the freedom in that place. So that's the first thing. When it's not clear, we got to study. we got to interpret. And then we got to love each other, which leads us to the second thing. It's very similar, but when the Bible isn't clear, um, there is lots of stuff in the Bible that is very clear. So instead of minoring on the minors that we're not sure about, let's major on the majors. Let's follow the clear stuff. And one of the things that's really clear is about how we treat each other. Like the Bible doesn't allow a lot of wiggle room on that, does it? Um, and in, fa in fact, if we just follow the stuff that's clear, especially in trying to be kind and patient and loving to each other, we have enough that will hold our attention. <laughs> so we major on the majors, we let the minors just be the minors, we figure out how to love one another. That's when the Bible's not clear, that's just kind of a small piece of that, but I wanted to say that um, this morning. Now, let me come back to this. The Bible, friends, 
It is desperately needed. Still in our day, we see the role, <coughs> excuse me, that it's held. See the role that's held in our churches throughout history pulled us back on track, and it does it for us today as well. In fact, everything that we do as a church, and we're really just responsible for our church, aren't we? Like, we can't change all the churches out there, and it doesn't really help for me to complain about other churches, because the truth is we are one body, um, and, and whether I'm embarrassed by what other Christians do or not, this is the place that we get to be responsible for, our church family. And so here's how we do it here. Um, we don't figure out what political party we agree with most and then just line up and teach that. We don't do that. Um, we don't choose a political party over Jesus. Um, we look to Scripture. We look to Scripture, which means when we do that, you're just not going to fully agree with any of either of the political parties. It just won't happen because neither of them has a corner on it, even the ones that claim to be the Christian party. We need the Bible. And here at Hope, um, we need Scripture. And so when we see things that are unjust, we don't look and see what our political leaning would say about it. We go, wow, how would Scripture call me to engage with that injustice? Um, we don't buy into the conspiracy theories. We don't, we don't start parroting uh, lines that we're hearing um, on our favorite news talk shows or wherever, Right? Uh, we, don't, we don't stoop to name-calling, to lying, <laughs> to disrespect of other people, to, and, and to excusing people that treat others that way just because, hey, he's on my team, no big deal, we'll overlook that one. No, 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 no. As Christians, we can't afford to do that because when the world sees that, they go, oh, yeah, you guys are just aligning with that or you're aligning with that. No thanks. We can't shine like a light if we're engaging in that stuff. We've got to take everything that we believe and come back to Scripture with it. This is about what the Bible says as the measuring stick, as our light, as our guide. We don't ignore the teachings of Jesus because maybe we think it doesn't make sense today. No, no, no. We align ourselves with Jesus and we move forward in love. That's how he's called us to impact the world around us. And I am so proud of the Hope family, because the vast majority of the people in, in this church family um, have a huge heart to follow Jesus and to get away from and avoid these voices that are shouting in our culture today. Like, you guys get it. You guys are living it out. You're living out what it means to accept each other, regardless of agreeing or not on the issues our, our country and nation are demanding that we exclude each other from if they don't agree with us. And I'm so proud to be on this journey with you. Um, it's like saying, hey, welcome to the messy middle. <laughs> the messy middle. In the messy middle where, where followers of Jesus are just trying to shine like lights to love and serve our world in a way that aligns with Jesus, which is never easy. It's not easy now, but it's never been easy. It's never been easy. But hear me, it's worth it. It's worth it, you guys. Because as followers of Jesus, all of this has to come back to being about Jesus. That's where scripture calls us, to come back to being about Jesus. Had somebody... Just recently, um, two different quick stories. They were upset with me 
good friend, very frustrated with me actually because they were convinced that I was on the wrong side when it came to some of the concerns in our culture uh, and the things that people are talking about. And so they thought, uh, you know, this person was, was um, probably would be on that liberal side. And they were disappointed in me because, you know, they thought I was on the wrong side of, you know, abortion or issues of sexuality, um, a, a bunch of other things too. But especially that they decided because they, uh, um, yeah, because of, of how I, you know, I was just... I was too conservative for them. I was very, you know, I was way too conservative, so they were ticked and wanted to write me off and exclude me, and, and that's their call. Um, I don't talk a ton about those things, but they were making assumptions. And, and then, almost like clockwork, not long later, um, just a week ago, actually, uh, somebody that knew me pretty well said, you know, you and Heidi, you and Heidi, you've just become really liberal. I was like, really, is that true? Really? Uh, and just, you know, I've managed to just be patient and try to listen. But, but it was because of our not aligning on racism with what they thought conservative people should align with, I guess. Um, or, or what we think about immigration, what we think the Bible teaches about refugees and caring for the poor. And then they insinuated that we just bought into everything on, on that side of the agenda and somewhere how we're just blind to the dangers of the world and it's going to collapse if it's not run by his political candidate, you know. And I just... Stayed calm and, and um, you know, just felt like they weren't really paying attention because I've always refused to just lockstep with any political ideology. Like, I'm trying to follow Jesus and, and align with his kingdom and teaching. And that's what I encourage this person to, like, hey, before you go to whatever position you think you're supposed to line up with on the checkboxes, like, just take it to Scripture. Like, go to Scripture first. Like, where is it written? Wouldn't that be an interesting way to do life as individuals? Where, where, where do we find in Scripture? What would the Bible say about that? Instead of listening to the talking points of the blue tribe or the red tribe, figure out what the teachings of Jesus and Scripture would point us to, and then let's just do our best to follow Jesus. You know, people just want to slap labels on us, the red label or the blue label, um, but we can't afford, if we are representing Jesus, to fall into those blanket categories. Because that's how the kingdoms of this world operate. They want us to just pick a side so that they can play us and divide us. Raise the level of fear so we give in to hate and excuse ourselves from the painstaking work of following Jesus instead of following the system of this world. And pretty soon we are going down the river in that stream and the path of Jesus is over there somewhere. But... The word of God continues to call us back and invite us back to aligning with what he says, what God says is the path to life. So will we trust that the Bible will be, will be a way that shines the light on how it is that we are to live and love in this broken world? And here at Hope, just so you know, this is the spotlight, here at Hope, Scripture is what determines what we teach, believe, and aspire to live out as followers of Jesus. It's, again, we used to get lots of questions, like, assuming that we were watching whatever news channel everybody else was watching. <laughs> um, and we just constantly come back to, what does Scripture say? What does Scripture say? Um, that's how we are supposed to live in love. <sighs> All right, we're out of time. So as the worship team comes, I just want to point us back to what the Bible points us to. It points us to Jesus. Um, 
everything that the Bible says that, that helps us to know what to think of different areas of this world, oftentimes it's counter to, to what we hear on social media or bloggers or influencers or the things that are being thrown around as issues that we're supposed to pick sides on. But all of it, let's come back to, well, what does the Bible help? What does the Bible say that would help us with that? And how is it pointing us to Jesus? See, because as much as we um, treasure the Bible, we don't worship the Bible. <laughs> we worship Jesus, right? It's not the Father, Son, and Holy Bible. That's not the Trinity, okay? Um, no, we treasure the Bible, but we worship Jesus. We worship Jesus. Uh, we don't miss Scripture passages just because they're difficult. We don't dismiss them. We wrestle through it because Scripture points us back to Jesus. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus, he's actually speaking to the Pharisees. These are the best Bible students of the day. They knew their Bible. Right? They knew the Scriptures. Here's what Jesus says to them. You search the Scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the Scriptures point to me. Right? Sometimes we get so caught up. Like sometimes maybe you've seen people that they're all about the Bible, 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 and they don't actually have a soft heart because they've not allowed the Bible to point them to Jesus. That's what happened then. It happens now. So we have got to let the scriptures do what Jesus just said. The scriptures point to me, he says. See, all through the scriptures, all through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament and Revelation from beginning to end, the Bible needs to be filtered through and pointed at Jesus. See, Jesus is the central character of the story of the Bible. And what's beautiful, what's maybe even stunning is that, that this story that the Bible tells um, also tells us that the central character, Jesus, he actually loves us back. Because this word, this scripture, it's all about Jesus. And so that's why we can trust the Bible to help us follow Jesus because it points us to Jesus. So now let's sing together and celebrate our great God. Let's celebrate his love, his persistence in calling us back to him, in showing us the path to life and in giving us scriptures, his word, as a way for us to know which direction to go and how to follow Jesus. Will you stand with me as we sing?